Well, thank you, Chad and Erica and worship team for leading us this morning. Happy belated 4th of July, everybody. I hope you guys had a wonderful time this week, this weekend, yes? And I'm sure uh, the earthquakes added a little bit of excitement to it, yeah? Uh, so I, people are kind of freaking out about these earthquakes, and, and some people are like, I, I didn't even feel them. Are there people here that didn't feel the shaking of the ground? Really? Like, it happened twice, and people are just like, no, I didn't feel anything. I'm like, how? Like, I don't understand. Uh, but it happened, and I felt it. It was kind of crazy having little kids in the house, and they have no idea what's going on. Uh, but now they understand that earthquakes uh, are part of just California living. Uh, so, uh, but luckily, there will not be an earthquake today, uh, maybe tomorrow, or next week when Josh speaks, yeah? Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, but thanks for being here. Uh, it is a holiday weekend, and usually what that means is there's just uh, a lot of people are out of town, people are on vacation, and uh, the church attendance is usually a lot lower during this weekend, which is why uh, this morning across the nation, usually it's all the junior high pastors that are up uh, speaking. Uh, but not a bad turnout this morning, so uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually got to pick the weekend, so not really, but I did get to pick the weekend. So uh, I love... Uh, this series that we're in this summer, uh, Living Parables, I thought Pastor Scott did a fantastic job last weekend kicking it off, just talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer and, and uh, what Jesus says about prayer and, and just the fact that he's a good, good father and that we are to bring our prayers to him. And uh, I love parables. Stories are just fun, right? I mean, they're fun to tell. They're fun to listen to. And uh, working with students for so many years, uh, you hear a lot of stories from them. You just do. Josh laughs because he knows it's true. Uh, and sometimes you just, you don't know what you're going to get when they're like, I have a story. And you're like, oh, okay. And some of them are like funny. Some of them you're like, what? Uh, some of them are like 10 minutes and you have no idea what they're talking about. Some of the stories are just straight terrifying. Some of the stories you're like, I got to call your mom. Like, you know, so you just <laughs> never know what kind of story you're going to get. And being a guy who works with uh, junior high students, who, who works with students, I get asked all the time, do you have any cool stories? And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're in this Living Parable series. I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll tell one quick one-minute story, just because I get asked a lot. Uh, uh, so there is a story that's one of my favorite, and I'm going to try my best to not say who the student's name is, uh, because he, I uh, already gave part of it away, he is still in the high school ministry, I believe. Uh, but this is one of my favorite, like, uh, junior high, uh, junior high uh, stories, and hopefully I don't get into trouble saying this, uh, but this happened like four or five years ago. I think it was our second uh, year going to Hume Lake. Josh and I, we take about 60 high school, junior high students up to Hume Lake uh, every year. It's a fantastic week uh, where we get to hang out with them. And uh, we leave in a few weeks. You can be praying for that. But it's, I think it was my second year going to Hume Lake. And being like the junior high guy, I got to have like fun with them, right? So I tell the guys, I tell the boys, I'm like, hey, we're going to go do something awesome. We're going to go and we're going to do a midnight hike into the woods, and they're like, yeah. And the one kid's like, oh, I don't know. And uh, so I'm like, we're going to do it. And then uh, bring a flashlight. So uh, I, I'm in the lead of the line, right, because I'm the leader. And then I have uh, my other leader uh, in the very back. And, uh, and we're leading these boys into the woods at Hume Lake, right? If you've ever been to Hume Lake at night, you know that it's super, super dark. 
and my whole goal was just to go out, have fun, uh, challenge them about being young men of God, and just like see the stars and have some good prayer time, right? Uh, and so we're, we're going into uh, the woods. We're about 15 minutes into our journey. <clears throat> we're in the woods, and then it's super dark, and I do this with the flashlight. And I kid you not, where the piano is, is about a medium-sized bear, Okay, All right. I know, I know, I know. This is why I might lose my job. But uh, so I shine the light on it, and it's not huge. It's probably, I don't really know my bear sizes and ages, but I'm guessing teenage, young teenage bear. Go with it. All right, so I shine the light on it, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And then the, the student next to me, he's like, oh, and, he, and he's like, I'm sorry for swearing. I'm just really scared right now. Uh, and I'm like, it's okay. And then one kid's in the back. He's like, let's run. And I'm like, do not run. <laughs> Slowly walk back. And we walk back. And uh, first off, in those situations, you always hope to like be the, the man that's going to jump in and save. And just let you know, I stood there and was strong. and was going to take on that bear. But we're walking back. And I'm like, okay, guys, we're just going to go back to the cabin. The fun's over. The adventure's over. Let's not tell anyone, okay? Let's not tell <laughs> anyone. The camp does not need to know. Uh, and they're like, okay, let's just go back to our cabin. And we're walking back into the, the camp. And I'm like, just keep it cool. And at the time, it's the assistant director of the whole camp, which uh, he's now the director. He's a friend of mine. Uh, and we kind of laugh about the story. But we're walking by him, and I'm just like, hey. And the kid is like, we found a bear. He took us into the woods at night. There was a bear. It, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And that's my bear story. And a uh, fun thing, uh, that uh, summer we all actually bought these Hume Lake bear shirts. So if you see a blue bear shirt, that's what that means. But I love the way Jesus told stories. They weren't overcomplicated. They weren't overstated with theological terms. They weren't filled with complex riddles. They were simple. Jesus' stories were easy to follow. They were clear and understandable. And Jesus' whole desire here was to lower himself to where we are because we could never rise to where he was. And that's what's so amazing about these parables. And with Jesus, his stories are about God's grace and compassion, his character and God's relentless pursuit for us, his children. And there's some, uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, where there are three parables. Two are kind of small, uh, and then there's one big one. Don't worry, we're not going to be here for hours, hopefully not. But we're going to kind of tack on, uh, tack the, the two little ones, and then the third one will spend a little more time in it. But it's all one big parable, all one big parable, that's talking about this ongoing and relentless pursuit for us. The three stories about three lost things that are all found and end up having three parties after. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for this church. We thank you that we get to come together and be in your worship, be in your presence, Lord. Pray for these next few moments as we dive into your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, that uh, you speak through me, Lord. We thank you for these stories, these parables that you would speak, Lord. 
Um, We love you so, so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you're turning to Luke 15, uh, just a little background here. Uh, Jesus is somewhere in uh, between his three years of ministry. And during his three years of ministry, uh, he would go around and uh, he had a following. A lot of people heard the stories about him, that all the miracles that he did, everything that he did. I mean, he turned water into wine, right? That got around really quick. Uh, so people were following him. And he would be a parable speaker. He would go around and he would teach a lot. And what was amazing about Jesus is that he always knew who was in the audience. He was a very wise, wise speaker. And he would change the way he would tell his stories, his illustrations, depending on who was in the audience. And it would be as if he was here in 2019, okay, and Jesus is on the stage. He's about to tell a parable. He would be like, the kingdom of heaven is like Starbucks, okay? All right, this is how my mind works, all right? And all the angels are making your drinks with smiles, and there are no lines, right? Or he would say, the kingdom of heaven, right, is like Disneyland, mm, right? You guys like that one? It's free, like grace paid it all, right? And, and there's no lines, and all the lines, there, there's no lines, and all the rides are always working. Jesus would always change, that's my dream, um, especially being free. It's so hard to go there. Uh, But Jesus would change the way he spoke depending on who was in the congregation. And we're going to see here in Luke 15 that there's three stories, and he kind of attacks in a way where everyone in the congregation would be able to understand his main point. I love that about Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and dive in here. Chapter 15, verses 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. We'll pause there. Uh, We see already that Jesus has quite the audience here. Uh, Some would just say that's just your typical church now, right? Uh, And uh, you see that there's three groups of people here. You have the tax collectors, you have the sinners, and you have the Pharisees and the scribes. And these tax collectors, they're not your typical IRS like tax collectors. I think we all know that. These tax collectors were the Jewish people that actually worked for the Romans, the Roman government, and they were your neighbors who would go to you knowing that you only owe five bucks, but they would take ten. These people, these tax collectors were crook, crooks. Right? They're not great people. They're not good people at all. And then you have the sinners in this part of the audience. Uh, and this isn't just sinners like I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, right? We're all sinners. We know that. These sinners were a tier of people. These were your, uh, your sick, your paralyzed, your, your lame, your, 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 your prostitutes, your, the people who had uh, jobs that were ill-refuted. They were just... The, the, they were a, a group of people, the sinners. And then you had the Pharisees, the religious leaders... And let's just be honest, these Pharisees, they know more Bible than you and I. They, they had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized, memorized, right? They knew theology. They knew the Mosaic law. They followed every single commandment, not the, just the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments. They had it down. So we see that there's three main groups of people in this audience when Jesus is speaking. And I bet Jesus knows this. Verse 3, we'll continue. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, 
if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Right here, I love this. Immediately, our value is established. My main point here is our value is what drives his pursuit. Okay, so Jesus is kind of telling this story. Uh, one, I love it that when Jesus talks about us, he talks about sheep. Sheep are not known for being very smart. Uh, they're kind of weak, and, and they obviously get lost a lot. Uh, but again, during that time, everyone knew about sheep. It's the Middle East. If Jesus was here today, he'd be like, a dude had 100 Teslas, right? He lost one. And I say that because I feel like I'm just seeing more Teslas around over and over. And I'm like, I want one. And I look at the price, and I know it's just not going to happen. But that's, that's a whole other story. But so I, Jesus is telling me the story. Okay, there's a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep, right? And he loses one. He has 99, but he loses one sheep. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. And people are like, what? Why would you leave 99 sheep that are here, they've obeyed the laws, to go find one sheep? He's dumb. He got lost. He's not obeying the rules. Jesus, what are you talking about? Why would you leave 90? Who's taking care of them? To go after one. It's crazy non-logical grace and love that Jesus is trying to show here. Our value is what drives his pursuit. It's crazy. They don't understand this. Why would you leave 99? Like, I'm not a mathematician, but like 99 is a lot more than one, right? And Jesus continues to teach. That way he, everyone understands his main points. Some people probably understood the sheep uh, parable, but some people probably needed a little more clarification. So he continues in verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over the sinner who repents. Jesus goes into this story saying, okay, all right, maybe you didn't get the sheep one. Let me clear it up a little bit. Money, everyone likes to talk about money, okay? So there's a dude, I'm sorry, there's a woman who has a coin collection, okay? She's got 10 coins. She loses one. And she goes bananas. Like she goes around, she's flipping up the cushions, she's tossing the, the house over. The original nine are probably gone because she's lost those, but she's pursuing this one coin. This one coin. I was thinking about this parable because, like, my, my kids don't really understand change. Like, who here actually still carries change in their pocket? 
my point exactly, right? So uh, I got to thinking, I was like, well, what is it that we kind of, in the Kerner household, what is it that we kind of lose? And I know what it is. If you ever come to my house and the cushions are flipped over, it's because of this thing. I don't know what, yep. Okay, so this piece of technology is called an Apple remote, right? You guys have this? I don't know. It's, it's very sleek. It's very tiny. It's the slipperiest thing ever made. And uh, what happens in the current household, uh, every time uh, we want to watch something, we watch a lot of Apple uh, TV, this thing goes missing. And it's always in the couch because it's tiny, it's slippery. And, and then what ends up happening, it's like, well, who has it? Uh, Kinsey had it. No, it came right. And then we all start freaking out. We're kind of like the Apple remote to God's eyes, right? So if I had 10 of these and I lost one, not a big deal. But Jesus is saying, okay, you don't understand. This woman, she's got 10 coins, but she's lost one. And she searches and searches and searches until she finds it. She can't stop until she has that coin. And when she finds it, she doesn't just say, oh, cool. She rejoices, she celebrates. She parties. She calls her friends and rejoice. That's crazy, right? The people in the audience are like, what? Over one coin? That'd be crazy. Like if I had 10 coins, right, and I lose one, and I spend hours finding it, and I'm like, Josh, dude, that coin I lost, yeah, I found it. Dude, come over, get the boys. I'm getting cake, Swiss rolls, Swiss cake rolls. I'm getting, we're going to party. We're going to have fun. What are you talking about? Jesus is showing that clearly we are worth, worthy and valued to him, right? Third time's a charm here. Jesus is saying our value and worth is pretty much priceless in our Father's eyes. That our Father is going to do anything to find us. But there's some people, I bet, that are still not getting it. And then we go into the third and final parable here, the parable of the prodigal son. This is where we'll spend a little more time in. Third time's a charm. Three main characters in this parable. The younger son, then you have the father, and then you have the older son. It doesn't really take a scholar to understand at the end of it who is representing who. But we'll dive in here. Verse 11, third time's a charm here. Jesus is like, okay, all right, let me explain it to you again. And he said... There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his, uh, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Gross. And no one gave him anything. Okay, a lot there but let's kind of break it down just a little bit. Uh, typically, a son, just much like today, would receive uh, his father's inheritance only after the passing of his father. The younger brother here, we see that he's commanding to receive his part 
of the family estate. It kind of shows this rebellious and proud, uh, just a disregard of his father's authority, not to mention his selfish and immature attitude. It was interesting, a year ago, uh, Josh and I, Lindsay, we, we were in uh, Israel, and we were kind of walking through like these old towns that kind of existed uh, 2,000 years ago during Jesus' time, and we got to kind of learn about kind of how communities worked, and what they had was like a, like a community pot, so you got to keep like your family's like percentage of what they had gained or, you know, whatever their uh, investments were, but they had it all in a pot for those who needed it, so not only is the son kind of disrespecting the father, he's also kind of slapping the community that he grew up with in the face, Saying, I don't care about them. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. The audacity of this younger son, right? This younger son. I have a son, Caleb. He's 10. And I was thinking about this. I was like, if my son came up to me and he was like, hey, dad, can I talk to you? Sure, son. What? Um, I, I want my inheritance now. I'm like, what? Dude, go to your room. No. Like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? One, I work in ministry. There's not much of inheritance. <laughs> Two, no. Go to your room. Go to your room. But our God is a gracious Father. And one thing I've learned over the, the many years of following him, that I've learned that God will often give us what we want when we think we know better. And this is kind of what happens here. We see that the son spends all the money. Don't know exactly what uh, Probably fine clothes, wine. We'll just say he went on many dates with women, most likely uh, food. And we see that he squandered it all. The dude went to Rodeo Drive and then to Vegas all over the weekend. The money ran out. And in my opinion, and I think you understand and you agree, that things that are temporary satisfactions are usually not the best, right? Temporary satisfactions are usually not the best. And it goes a little deeper here. He gets a job. He's desperate. He gets a job working with pigs. If you're not familiar with the Jewish culture, you don't touch pigs. You don't go around them. You don't look at them. I mean, you just unclean animals. And he took a job feeding pigs, even longing for their food. This reveals that he had fallen as low as he could possibly go. And we also see that no one gave him anything. It's all fun in the beginning. Friends are around, but when the friends are gone, they deserted him. He's alone. In verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So many times this is us, right? I know I've been in this situation where you've, you've hit rock bottom. And you're like, oh, man, I don't even deserve to, like, pray to God. I don't even deserve to, like, be in his presence. And we see the son who's feeding pigs, wishing he could eat with the pigs, is saying, you know what? I don't deserve to be my father's son. But man, it was good at dad's house. Maybe, maybe I'll go back and maybe he'll at least hire me to be one of his workers. And we see that he does the I messed up and I have a speech thing 
And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have written those speeches, right? I know I have. I just did the other day. Uh, uh, Sometimes uh, I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to do the dishes, right? So when you come home, the the kitchen's going to be spectacular. You're going to be able to go in there, and you're going to be able to to get your chef on because she's an amazing cook. And I remember, it was just like a week ago, uh, I looked on Find Friends because that's what um, I do. And I'm like, holy cow, she's in the neighborhood. Okay, and the dishes, there's more dishes in there than I thought there were. And uh, they've stacked up. And then I start making this, this speech. Okay, uh, my back got hurt. Uh, the kids were fighting. They were really bad today. I don't know. Summer's crazy. Uh, I was working on this message. Like, you know, I got to speak. And, and then I'm just like, oh, I just got to admit that I just didn't do a very good job. And she actually came home and the dishes were all over the place. But we've been there. We, we write speeches when we hit our lows, when we mess up. I picture the son, right? He, it's a pathetic little speech he starts to write, but I can kind of relate to it. And I picture him kind of just pacing back and forth on the path saying, man, okay, I, I, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve my father's love. I don't deserve to look at him. I don't deserve to go back to the community that I just abandoned. But man, if he can just let me, let me work for him. And then he gets the courage. The speech gets perfected in his mind in verse 20. We see what happens. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Man, I love this verse. It talks about the father. He's been waiting for him. The father sees his son out on the horizon. He's been waiting every single day. And he sees his son, and his son is coming toward him. And it shows, Jesus is saying that this this father, his great love, compels him to run after him. To run after him. I was looking at, uh, there's tons of paintings and pictures of the prodigal son. And, and sometimes you're like, oh, I don't think that's biblical or I don't think that's accurate. And I, and I did find one that I felt was kind of uh, appropriate. And I love this image. I think this really wraps up verse 20. And I love that you see the son kind of on his knees with his arms around his father. And the father is bent down, hunched over, hunched over, holding him. One translation says that the father falls on his neck. What a beautiful verse. But also during this verse, Jesus talks about the father would have ran. The Pharisees, the Jewish people would have gasped at this. They would have choked because men did not run during this time. They didn't. They, to elevate their robe and to take off and run down a gravel road would have been a form of disgrace been looked down upon. But we see here that Jesus is saying, no, this father is different. He sees his son. And when the son is coming toward him, he bails. He goes after his kid. I love this panting. The bent knee. And there's anything I want you to leave with this morning is this image of Jesus saying, this is how our father in heaven is. He runs after you. He runs after you. 
Continuing on, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Here's his little speech. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. What I love about this is that the son tries to start his speech, the speech that he's worked so hard on, I bet, spending hours rehearsing it, and the father wants nothing of it. The father wants nothing of it. It's because God cares about our hearts, not our speech. God cares about our hearts, not our speech. And if you're like me sometimes, maybe there's some of you in here that have been working on your speech for a long time. But I got, I got, I got great news for you. It's not going to get listened to. Your speech is not going to get listened to. Because God cares about our heart, not our speech. His pursuit is complete when he has our heart. So stop writing that speech and just bend a knee. Stop writing that speech because he wants your heart. And I love the father's like, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. Bring uh, the robe, the shoes, the ring. Bring steak. We're going to eat good tonight. And let's party another celebration. Another celebration. I get students that ask me all the time, um, man, is heaven going to be like boring? Like, is it just going to be like, that's how they talk. Is it going to be like just us praying and doing communion? I'm like, no. Like, have you read the gospel? Like, Jesus is a partier. Like, uh, when a sinner turns his life over to Christ, there is a party in heaven. We're going to be partying. I can't wait to party with Jesus. I bet he can throw down, right? I mean, I just, I bet that partying with Jesus is going to be amazing. And the kids are like, ah, okay, that sounds cool. That'd be fun, right? (laughs) He loves to party. He loves to celebrate. He gets the fattened calf. The fattened calf was only for special occasions. God wants to celebrate with his children. He offers us everything in his kingdom, restoring full relationship with a joyful celebration. He doesn't even dwell on our past. He doesn't listen to our speech because he wants our heart. And we're in the last part here, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Remember, there's a third person. The older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants. He calls one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And I, I'm sorry, but I always chuckle at that. He's just, he sounds like a little, like a kid. You've never given me a young goat for my friends, right? It's, I don't know, in my mind. Like, he's just kind of being a party pooper here. Verse 30, but when, his, when this son of yours, he says, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
aka many dates with women. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. We kind of understand, though, why the brother's a little frustrated. He's in this field by his house, and he's like, is that music? Are people dancing? What, dancing? what time? Is it New Year's? Like, is it Dad's birthday? He has no idea what's going on. He has no idea what's going on. And he's grumbling. Kind of like the Pharisees in the beginning of this parable. There's grumbling. And the older son is frustrated. Dad, I've done all. Everything you've told me to do, I've never disobeyed. I've never wandered off. I never asked for my money. I never asked for inheritance. I didn't spend it on, on things. And yet you're, I, I, want a, I want a goat. I want a young goat. I want something. But I think there's a challenge here for us. I, I think sometimes we fall into this. How dare he gets forgiven? I go to church every day. I read my Bible all the time. And this guy, this girl who's been sinning, receives grace, gets blessed before I do, gets a job before I do. That makes no sense. I think it's important that we understand, yes, that our Father is waiting for us and wants to celebrate our return, but it's also important for us to not fall into the trap of being the older son. We should never refuse to celebrate with that lost person the one that didn't deserve grace but received it. As I close here, I just threw a lot at you. Three parables, one big, big parable. I love that Jesus spends his time in these parables. He spends his time. He could have said one and just moved on. But he talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son all because he wants to state our value in our Father's eyes, our worth in God's eyes, God's relentless pursuit for us. And here's the thing. He's not going to stop his pursuit until he has us. He's not going to stop his pursuit until he has us. And if I'm being real with you, some of you have been running away from God for a while. And it's time to turn to him. It's time to run toward him. I love thinking that these parables kind of sum up exactly what God is trying to tell us. And, and if I was to kind of narrow it down just to a few words, I believe, in my opinion, Jesus is trying to tell us this. You were lost. You turned away from me. You ran away. But when you stepped towards me, I then ran towards you. You returned to me and I embrace you with my arms wide open. I love you so much that I will tell everyone of your homecoming, and we will celebrate, and we will party. What a beautiful reminder that God is in constant pursuit for us. Amen? Father God, thank you so much um, for Luke 15. Lord, we thank you that uh, you took your time, Lord, that you told the same story three different ways because you wanted your children to get it. You wanted us to understand that you're pursuing us. We thank you for your grace, your compassion, 
We thank you for never giving up on us when we give up on ourselves. Lord, we thank you so much for this. Or may we leave here feeling encouraged that you just want our heart. You don't want the speech. You don't want all the apologies. You just want our hearts. You want us to bend a knee to you, Lord. And we love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, it sure was fun hanging out with you guys this morning. And uh, we just pray that you guys have a safe weekend. If you see a sheep wandering, just pull over and grab that. Don't forget God's ongoing pursuit for you. Have a good morning.